Where are these archives? Righteous is our king. mentioned to you on uh, the Lord's been stirring within me that he sees us or more specifically that he sees you for about a year and I told you couple months back, maybe at some point or another he'll release me to share specifically on the fact that he sees us, and uh, today we're here. The Lord's timing is perfect, and to be able to share a message through Mavis and Mark's family that the Lord sees us at this moment, kind of perfect timing. So I'm grateful for that. He does all things well and in his timing. As a matter of example and being able to burn an image into your brain, there's going to be two things that we share on today. Not only that the Lord sees us, but that he hears us. We're going to see some examples in Scripture of how he heard and saw. But so you can remember, I don't mind, there was an old song, I'll be a fool for you, Jesus. I don't be mind looking like a fool to remind you that he hears and sees. Because maybe with this weird image that I, you have before you, you'll remember, why is this guy talking with goggles and earmuffs on the entire time. I open one ear so I can actually hear. <laughs> but maybe this weird image will help you remember that the Lord does see and hear us. Maybe at times when you are feeling all alone and feel like, Lord, are you even out there? Do you even know what's going on in my world that you maybe recall some strange image of this. These are the same goggles I told you about a long time ago, actually. Remember I told you I was out blowing the snow and everybody's headlights were yellow? And I'm like, what is going on out here? It's because of the tint on these things. Finally figured it out. I didn't say I was the sharpest crayon in the box. But. Let's turn to Genesis 29. Lord, we're grateful for your word. Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear today and open exactly what you have for us. Lord, you're grateful that you see and hear. So as we sit in these few moments, as we hear, Lord, your words that you speak to our hearts, Lord, that we, our hearts will be pricked and our lives will be changed. In Jesus' name. Just as a matter of summary, I want to kind of quickly go over this story here. Most of you know it, but some of you may not. This is a story of Jacob and Rachel, and as a byproduct of that, there is a story of, of Leah. So Jacob, in and of himself, his name means deceiver or conniver. 
and <laughs> it's really strange what these things are. His name is conniver or deceiver, and he did this. That was kind of that he lived up to his name for a majority of his life. And this was a time when this was actually repaid to him, an example of sowing and reaping. So we see here he goes and he works for this guy. And like I said, in a matter of summary, if you want to read through it, look through chapter 29. For time's sake, though, I'm just going to summarize here. And he goes and he sees this girl, and she was gorgeous. And her name was Rachel. So he goes to this guy and says, hey, I want to work for her. I want her to be my bride. So he says, okay, if you will work for me for seven years, you can have her hand in marriage. And so he does exactly that. He was committed seven years of labor for this girl. She must have been something. So then here we have, though, it comes to the end of the seven years, and they have their, their wedding ceremony. And then all of a sudden it's discovered that this wasn't Rachel. Let me back up to say that Leah was actually the older of the two sisters, and it wasn't the custom for the younger sister to get married first. So here we have, and, and then it's discovered in the end that who Laban gave to him as a bride was not Rachel at all, but it was Leah. So Jacob comes to him and he says, what have you done? Why have you deceived me? And I can just imagine in that moment that all these things, the real of his life, were just playing through his mind. All the things that he did to deceive his brother and, and later on his father the different things that he had done throughout to the point where even in the womb he was grabbing onto his brother's heel because he wanted to be promoted, promoted himself and first because he was a twin. And as they were born, as they came through the birth canal, literally Jacob held onto the heel of his brother Esau as if jockeying for position. And that's exactly what he lived his entire life. He was jockeying for position and wanted to be first ahead of his brother. So this time it was repaid to him the deception that he had been sowing all these years, now it was coming back to him. So we can learn from that. There's a, there's a measure of reaping and sowing here we need to be careful of. So Laban says to him, it's not the custom for us to give my younger daughter before the older one. So he says, but if you want to marry Rachel as well, then you have to work for me another seven years. So he does. As I mentioned, Rachel must have been something. Now, he doesn't have to wait another seven years to marry Rachel. He's actually, they get married pretty much right away. But he does work for Laban another seven years. And this is where we want to pick up here throughout this. Now, imagine Leah. And I've spoken, I've shared on Leah before. I feel very sorry for her. Imagine Leah. Here he is. She comes in. She's the older sister of the two. She's got to deal with this younger sister who is this overachieving beauty this guy comes in, and she's supposed to be the one who goes first, and yet he says, no, nope, I don't want you, I want her. So you can imagine she's already feeling rejected and dejected. She probably has is, is, had some problems with this and dealing with this over time. And now we have a situation where she knows that she is second choice with this, her husband. Second choice. Basically, Leah, he, he puts up with, but Rachel... He loves. So we see here in verse 31, chapter 29, the first time we see this, when the Lord saw Leah. 
He saw her right where she was in all of her sadness and all of her rejection and all the things that she had gone through. The Lord saw her right where she was. And the highest honor that women in these days could do was give their husband a son. And that's what the, the husband wanted, the father wanted more than anything was a son to carry on the name, to carry on the heritage. He wanted a son to be born. But Rachel, we see here, later on, she, doesn't, she can't have children. But what happens with Leah? When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. Hmm. Has anyone ever felt unloved before? The Lord sees you. He opened her womb, but Rachel, we see here, was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son and called his name. Now, it's a very interesting study. We're not going to go through all of them, but it's a very interesting study to look at these, what she names her sons and why, what is going on in her life. We've actually shared on that before. But the first thing, firstborn here, she names him Reuben, for she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. The name Reuben means behold a son. One of the translations of that word behold, word behold, what do you think it means? See. The Lord sees me that I'm unloved. The Lord sees me in, in my sadness. The Lord sees me right where I am. My heart's desire is to want nothing more than to, for Jacob to love me and to accept me and to receive me into his arms. The Lord has seen me, so behold, he gives me a son. You can hear the cry of her heart. She's thanking him and saying, I'm going to declare with his name that the Lord saw me. So every time that I look upon Reuben, I'm going to be reminded of the time that the Lord looked upon me. He saw favorably toward me, and he saw me and gave me this boy. Look what she can to say here. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Hmm. Any love that is earned will be lost when you stop doing the actions that cause them to love you. Let me say that again. Any love that is earned by some action or deed that you are doing will be lost the moment you stop. We're not to earn the love of our spouse. We don't have to earn the love of our Savior. Isn't that good to know? That he loved us even before in all of our sin. He loved us from the foundation of the world. It was set aside for him to come and to die. He didn't say, well, if you're good enough, if you do these three steps, then I'll come and die for you. No, it was regardless of what you were going to do, regardless of the actions, regardless of the life and the filth that you lived in, I still love you and I'm still going to give myself for you. Yeah. Because I see the potential yeah. in you. But Leah here, she was trying to earn his love. And she said, he, he has to. 
He has to love me at this point. I've given him a boy. Rachel hasn't given him anything. He has to love me. Verse 33. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Behold, or excuse me, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Which we know means here. So here she was trying to earn her husband's love. She gives him a boy. Behold, the Lord sees me. Behold your son, Jacob. Here he is. I'm presenting him to you. Will you now welcome me? And some time elapses in the verses here. She doesn't get pregnant five minutes later. Scripture is silent of what happens here, but we can kind of determine what is going on because you said, the Lord has heard me. He has seen that I am unloved. The fact that Reuben was born, the fact that she gave him what she thought that he wanted, that she could earn this, she still said, I am unloved. But the Lord heard her cry. Not only we see here in verse 31 that he saw her right where she was, but he also heard her cry. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our cry. Let's jump to Luke chapter 2. The beautiful story of two faithful people serving in the Lord's house. We're only going to focus on one, but Luke chapter 2. Starting in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The Lord hears. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means the comfort. He's waiting for his Messiah. And here he is, serving faithfully in the house of the Lord, not knowing when it's going to come. Not sitting, he's, he's serving daily, and here he comes, and he knows that he's been promised something, which we'll see in a second, but he's had a promise that he's holding on to. And not only does he hear from the Lord, but the Lord hears his cry. Though there's a symbiotic relationship going on between the two hearing each other. But he heard from the Lord, and he held on to us. Let's find out what it was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now notice, this is in Luke. The book of Acts, has not, the Pentecost has not even happened yet. So similar to how it was in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and fall upon them. It wouldn't have filled them. But this man, the Holy Spirit would fall upon him. And he had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. So not only did it fall upon him, but he's speaking to him. So in order for him to... The Lord, Holy Spirit's always speaking. Mind you, the key is, are we listening? Well, he was appropriately named because this guy, Simeon, he heard. It doesn't specify when he heard these things, but we do know he was holding on to this. Watch what happens. By the Holy Spirit that he would not 
see death before he had seen his Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. Had he not been in tune, had he been discouraged, had he decided, I'm not going to go to the temple this day. It's just one day. What's the difference? I'm there all the time. I was promised this thing, but you know what? It's been a really long time. I mean, come on, Lord. But he was drawn by the Spirit on this particular day. Why do we see this happen? And when the parents, talking to Jesus' parents, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom, he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. It says Mary and Joseph, they marveled at these words. You would think at this point, <laughs> they would have probably figured it out. This has got something special going on here, right? But even still with this declaration, now this is when they are bringing Jesus in just as he, after he was born, as it says, mentions the custom. So this is very early in his infancy. So this is kind of fresh for them. But I imagine every time I hear this story, I'm always reminded of the Lion King. Remember when they present Simba? I always think about that. I think, think about Simeon as took him in his arms. And I can just imagine him holding up this boy. And saying, thank you, Lord. Now I can depart in peace. You promised me this so many years ago. And now I've actually seen your salvation. Why was I able to see this today? Two reasons. One, you saw me. And I heard from you by your spirit. And made sure that I was here on this day. It doesn't say that they went to the temple and they were there for a month and he just happened to stumble upon them. He was there at that appointed time. So I encourage you to be listening because we don't want to miss out on our appointed time. What had happened had he not been there that day? He would have missed it. The thing that he had been waiting for his entire life. And he would have gone to his grave and been like, wait a second, you told me I was going to see the consolation of Israel before I, I would go, and I haven't seen him. Well, remember that time? You just didn't feel like it? He was there that day. So we have to be in tune and listening. So Simeon saw because he heard. Turn over to John chapter 1. The passage that really caused this word to see, to burn within me. John chapter 1, pick up in Forty-three. The following day, Jesus went to go to Galilee and found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We 
have found him. Of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. In order for Philip to have found him, you can't find something if you're not seeking for it. So in order for these guys to have found Jesus, they had to have been looking for him. Similar to Simeon, he was looking for a savior. We have found him. So Nathaniel's response, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, why did they say that? Kind of interesting that he would say something like that. Well, we know that Nathaniel is from Galilee. Galilee and Nazareth are kind of neighboring villages or cities, kind of competing, as it were. Kind of like us saying, is there anything good that can come out of Ohio? I mean, Ohio's good for driving through so that you can get to Florida, right? That's about all it's good for. But that's really where this sentiment comes from. There was an overwhelming feeling about of some of the people that were in Nazareth. I read some commentaries about that. But really, what came from Nathaniel was this whole neighboring town type of thing. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So what does Philip respond? Well, find out for yourself. Come and see. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in him there is no deceit. I don't know about you, but if I were to walk up to Jesus for the first time, and he would make a declaration, that might not be a bad thing to hear. He doesn't say, Nathaniel, in whom is a competitive nature, can't possibly think is doubting the fact that I can anything good out come out of Nazareth. No, he says, and then King James, it says, to him there's no guile. Here we have this guy walking toward him. He says, behold, he declares to everyone, just like John says, behold the Lamb of God. He's walking up, and Jesus says to everybody that's around, Behold, Nathaniel, in whom there is no deceit. Verse 48. Before we go that, though, I want to point out something, why that's important. We know that Nathaniel was an Israelite. Jesus points this out. We've already talked about it. Israel, his previous name was, what was it? Jacob. Jacob, we know, means deceiver. Mm. So by generational curses or by lineage, we see here that if he's an Israelite, because of his father, he should by nature be very deceptive, yes? 
But we see here that the generational curse of what it was that was birthed out of Jacob is no longer even within and did not reach down to Nathaniel. In him was no deceit. So I'm here to tell you today, there may be things that were going on in your generation before you. It may be heart disease. It may be cholesterol. It may be back pain. It may be knees. It may be things where there was alcoholism. There were whatever it may be. There may be things that were going on in your generation before you, but it's broken in the name of Jesus. It is not part of you. You have no part of that. You don't have to accept it. You don't have to say, well, it's because my father was like this so I had no you don't have to accept those things in the name of Jesus it is broken and under the blood notice eat I don't care what your great 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 grandfather's name was I don't care in you I'm declaring today there is no deceit there's no guile. There's no deception in your heart. Nathaniel says to him, How do you know me? How is it that you could possibly know me? How many times have we asked the same question? Lord, are you really aware? of what's going on in my world. Do you really see me? Do you really even care about whatever it is that I'm going through? How do you know me? Do you, are you even there? Jesus' response here is beautiful. In ver, continuing in verse 48. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, Tell you. The Lord shows his omniscience in two points here. Now notice, how does Nathaniel even know to come? Philip said, Come and see. Was Jesus there at that moment? No. Not when Philip walked up to Nathaniel and said, You need to come and see what we discovered, to see who we found. Jesus was not there. So before Philip called you. So by the way, I saw that. I heard you say, is there any good that can come out of Nazareth? And even still, I declared no deceit in your heart. I saw you in that moment. And then the second thing that he shows is omniscience here. He says, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, what does a fig tree represent? Back then, there was a time, if you can look at Micah, uh, there's another passage where it talks about how a fig tree represents peace and prosperity. It was a place that people would go to spend time of reflection and in prayer. So it doesn't randomly say that I just saw you when you were at your house. Or is it, it was very intentional what the Lord says here, is that I saw you when you were at the temple. That might have been a good thing to say. Why didn't he see him there? Well, why didn't, I, why didn't he say that he saw me when I was working and I was faithful? Why didn't the Lord choose that? But he chose here intentionally, I saw you by when you were under the fig tree. You know, the Lord sees and hears even when he's not around. For some, that's Amen. For some, that's, woe me. 
He hears, consider this. He hears all of your conversations. He sees and hears everything you do. Watch this. He hears your very thoughts. It says that he knows the thoughts and the intents of our heart. I want you to focus on this, on the fact of being encouraged that he sees you right where you are and everything you're going through. And not be like, oh my goodness, he sees everything that I'm doing. That's true too. But the focus today is that he sees you right where you are. How encouraging that is. I don't know if it is for you, but it is in my point in my life right now, it is exceptionally encouraging to know the Lord sees me and that he hears me because we face a lot of things in life and sometimes they may be far greater than we can handle on our own so I'm grateful that I serve a God that not only sees me you know he could it's, it's the fact of he can see us okay yeah I see you right there Ezra that's great you know, a train coming right toward you, but I see it happen. They should have stepped out of the way. But he not only sees us, but he hears the cry of our heart. And by that seeing, the implication is that there is action. When did he see him? Some under the fig tree. What was he doing? Was he sitting there praying for the Messiah to come? Was he sitting under that tree thanking the Lord for his goodness? Was he pouring out his heart because of a need or a loss, possibly? Was he rejoicing? Was he sad? We don't know. Scripture is silent as to what was going on under that fig tree, but here's one thing I do know. Whatever it was, it was a big deal to Nathaniel. You know why? Based on his response. Nathaniel, in verse 49, answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So whatever it was, and we may not ever know what it is that the Lord is speaking to your heart right now of what he sees. But you do. So it was enough for him, whatever it was. That was a pivotal time in his life to the degree that it says, you know what, before I doubted that any good could come out of Nazareth, but now I'm convinced. Because there is no way, no one else knew that I was under that fig tree. And now you're telling me about it. There are times and there are places in your life where you'll go into your prayer closet or you'll go to a place, it may be by a river, it may be at a park, it literally may be in a closet, whatever it is, you're by yourself and maybe no one else knows what it is that you're pouring out from your heart. Maybe not even your spouse. You may have things that are in your heart that you're pouring out before the Lord and I'm here to tell you today that He hears and He sees you right there. 
just like he saw Nathaniel. I read something interesting when I was looking into this. And once again, Scripture is silent, but I thought it was a really interesting thought. It really started making me thinking about the disciples and everything, because they're fairly similar in age. But Nathaniel, if you remember, in Matthew 2, verse 16, Herod, what does he do? He orders what? The death of all boys two years and under, yes? Trying to kill Jesus. Now, this is in Bethlehem. If you look in Matthew 2, check it out, check me out. It says Bethlehem and all surrounding areas, which includes where Nathaniel grew up. So one of the commentaries here was talking about that. Was it the fact that his mom, Nathaniel's mom, took him at a young age and placed him in that place of peace and prosperity? Did she pour her heart out before the Lord at that fig tree when he was a baby in attempt to pleading for his life so that he wouldn't be killed by Herod's guards. In that moment, even as an infant, the Lord could see. <laughs> now we don't know. I'm not saying that. Don't say it the Lord. But I thought regardless, it was very interesting for me to think about. Thinking about all these disciples. Here they were, their lives, I never thought about this before. Their lives were spared during this time. How is that? The Lord saw them. Maybe they are different in age, whatever it might be, but they were protected supernaturally so they may be able to walk out what the Lord had for them 30-something years later. It also made me think about, wow, even as... An infant swaddled up there, nestled into his mother's arms that he still could see. He still could hear. All God did all man. He sees and he hears you right where you are. sees and he hears you right where you are. I'm going to spend a few moments in prayer and you can do whatever you want. You can Stay where you're at if you want to come. If you feel the Lord drawing you to come, that's fine. We're not going to belabor this, so I'm going to ask for the next few moments that you set aside everything else, your lunch plans, your phone, your whatever it is, to set aside as we focus our heart on the Lord. We close in prayer. We're almost done. Father, we're so grateful that you see us. Oh, we're so grateful that you hear us. Lord, you see 
right into our hearts. Even those areas, Lord, that maybe we're not the most proud of. Lord, so first of all, we ask for your forgiveness for those areas where we've fallen short of your glory. When we have grieved you and missed the mark, and let's call it what it is, when we sinned, forgive us, Lord. Thank you that we can come to you and pour our heart out before you. And you're there with open arms, welcome us. Thank you that your blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we thank you that you hear us at those moments when we're alone. We pour our hearts out before you and we wonder, is there, is there any, is these words, are they even going beyond the ceiling of the room that I'm in? Lord, we thank you for the assurance that you hear us today. Lord, we pray for specific needs, Lord, that we know that you see, Lord. Some of us have, have needs of that physical healing. Lord, we thank you that you see us right where we are. Lord, as we lift that up to you, Lord, help us to be careful to give you all the glory and honor and, and begin to thank you for your working. Even though maybe our eyes don't see your hand moving, Lord, we know, we trust with our eyes of faith, Lord, that you are moving and working. Lord, there are those that, that have emotional needs, Lord, that you see right to our core. Lord, we thank you that you haven't left us. You're always there beside us. Lord, by your spirit, you are within us. So grateful for that. So, Lord, we ask that your healing oil would pour on those that need either a physical or emotional healing. Lord, you hear our cry. And we begin to thank you that you see us. You know the end from the beginning. So, Father, you see right to where we are. Even in this moment, we're physically here in this room, but, Lord, you see us in the position that we are in our lives. Lord, there are those that, that have financial needs. We thank you that you see them in that as well. They may cry out to you and say, Lord, what, what can I do? I don't have a solution for this. We thank you, Lord, that you, are, you hear. You want us to be assured that you hear us and that you see. We thank you, Lord, that we've never seen the righteous forsaken or the seed begging bread. So, Lord, help us to walk righteously before you and trust in you and live by faith. Lord, we put all that we have into your hands. And in doing so, Lord, help us to take our hands off and truly trust in you.
Lord, there are needs that in our relationships. Lord, that need repairing and healing. Help us, Lord, not to serve our selfish gain. Lord, help us just to surrender it over to you and see your hand moving. Help us to be humble enough to ask for forgiveness when necessary and gracious enough to forgive even when it's not asked. We thank you, Lord, that you forgave us far before we could even ask you to, for your forgiveness. Lord, help us to walk in that same type of love. Lord, we thank you that you see our fears and our worries. These things that are before us, these mountains that seems are so daunting that we have no way to even go around, much less over. So Lord, we surrender it to you. There's no physical restriction in you, Lord, as demonstrated when you parted the Red Sea. Nothing before them except for a, a huge hindrance and behind them being pursued by those that wanted to kill them. And Lord, you made a way. Lord, as we face these things that are so large in our lives, Lord, we just put our trust in you. Lord, and as we do that and, and lift our hands to you, Lord, we just see your hand moving. Surrender and accept exactly what you have. Lord, there are things in our mind that we can't let go of. Lord, I thank you even right now by your spirit, you can hear those thoughts. Lord, we cause us to be able to give those over to you. Surrender them to you. Know that you work thing, all things for good. Because we love you and we know that we're called according to your purposing by your spirit. that haunts. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. So we come against, in the name of Jesus, any past that may try to remind us that we're still under some type of 
curse or things that we may have done or said in the past. We thank you, Lord, that they are under your blood when we've asked for forgiveness. And when the enemy tries to bring those things up to discourage us and to, to bring us down and condemn us, we, Lord, we thank you that we can look to you and see you as you see us through the blood forgiven. Lord, help us to forsake those actions. Put them behind us that we press on in you. Give us the strength to do that and the courage to take the first step. Thank you, Lord, that you hear us. Those things that we've been crying out to you for, some for a moment, some for years, we thank you for the assurance that you have heard our cry. Lord, help our hopes and dreams to line up with your word so we can see your hand moving. Lord, we need you more than ever before. We need you more than ever before. Jesus, I need you every moment. I need you here. This grace but heart sing out your praise forever. Jesus, I need you every moment I need you. Here now this grace but heart sing out your praise. Aren't you glad that we are purchased with a price? Bought by the blood of the Lamb. He paid that debt. He didn't know. We owed a debt that we would never be able to pay. And he redeemed us. So grateful for that. So grateful. you're grateful for that when you stand to your feet and find someone that you haven't said hello to today tell them that the lord loves them you're dismissed